0: Welcome to Breaking Form, a podcast of poetry and culture. I'm Aaron Smith.
1: And I am James Allen Hall. For those uh, listening for the first time, uh, we do this show in segments. We do literary games. We revisit books that we love. We gossip.
0: We do. We interview. We shade. We laugh. And we are not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it right there. (laughs) So today what we thought we would do is we thought we would discuss our favorite beginnings of books. And obviously that means we'll have a favorite, you know, endings and a favorite like middle, you know, paragraphs maybe or stanzas. But we thought we would do favorite beginnings and talk about the books that we love. We have one between us that I can just go ahead and say, at the end of my suffering, there was a door that which you call death I remember and that is the beginning of Louise Glick's The Wild Iris that we both love and we, we both ha- love that and we know from last night that we have one other beginning that's mutual do you I have couldn't it- believe this do you have it with you you can tell I about do. this one yeah yeah uh
1: so this is the beginning of Elena Klediak Davis's and her soul out of nothing her first book um, and the first poem in that book is called A Few Words for the Visitor in the Parlor, which is maybe the best first title of a, in the first book um, mm. as well. And it starts every time you wish the sky was something happening to your heart, you lose twice. That's and
0: amazing.
1: I couldn't believe I can't believe, Aaron, that you and I both have this on our list, that we both really love this this beginning.
0: And I think I forget about this book or I don't know if I do actively forget about it. I had forgotten about it, you know, and when I was looking at my shelves, I thought this book's so inventive. I have to say, if I really think about it, it might be one of the best first books of poetry also that I can think of, you know, since I've been doing the poetry thing and every, every move in the book is so honest and, and quirky and, and, you know, original. So that's a great first line. It's a big prose poem too. One thing that I was noticing with doing these is sometimes and I and I've done these poems, too, so there's no no judgment or shade with this, but. I feel like sometimes when people do this sort of opening poem and then it's it's set aside from the rest of the book, you know, there's a poem and then a section break and then the book starts. Those poems never have the best lines like they're Mm -hmm. something about their they do a different kind of work. I find like they're not really the book. They're just something that's getting us to it. And I was looking at some books like that last night, which I won't name because I'm not trying to be, you know mean about them it's just something about those poems they just do different kind of work and then i feel like when you turn the page the next poem is the one that grabs you so
1: my new book starts with exactly that way no me too no but i do my last book does oh, yeah my last book does yeah that's why i'm
0: not picking on it they're just they're yeah. poems that do different i think they do different kinds of work
1: you know what? it actually might um it did and then i changed the poem mm-hmm. um so it it might actually have a i I've heard this called a proem, like a prologue mm, poem.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if I love that term. Either. Maybe we'll call the episode proems. That'll get people. Going, what they'll be like? What
1: what prose poem? Um, that's what another person
0: thought proem meant, like prose poem. Oh, um, but I but I do. I mean, I love that move. Actually, I just feel like that poem always does something different. It's rarely my favorite poem in a book.
1: Interesting. Uh, So I have one of those that I really, really like. Um, Okay. And by, yes, I do start my next book with a poem. Um, And (laughs) uh, it's so funny that I couldn't remember. I had to check. Um, I've only lived with that book for 10 years. Uh, Why would I not know it backwards and forwards? Uh, Because
0: you've probably changed it 800 times.
1: Well, that and I think, you know, I turned it in to four way and to the publisher. I don't want to like be name droppy.
0: Um, That is your publisher. (laughs)
1: That is the publisher for this book. Um, I
0: think it's good to support the publisher by naming them. So, yeah, well,
1: and it's it's a
0: dream. I love their books. So um, and you might as well go ahead and say who chose it again, because that's a good brag, too.
1: Oh, well, yeah, it is. Uh, it was chosen for the 2020 levis prize by Diane Seuss mm-hmm. who also by the way chose um, my colleague um her first book isn't that strange who is your colleague my my colleague is kim andrews kim wow. uh kimberly Kyoge andrews her first book a brief history of fruit anyway i was saying that like one of my favorite um, openings is a poem and it's from uh, Hanif abdur second book, A Fortune for Your Disaster. Um, the poem is The Prestige and it starts, the poem begins not where the knife enters, but where the blade twists. Some wounds cannot be hushed, no matter the way one writes of blood.
0: That's great. He's He's one of my favorite kinds of writers who just does everything like he's brilliant. He does essays. You know, he's, he now has a MacArthur and I just don't know him at all. I just think, but I'm just like, I think you're great. I'm so glad I want you to win everything that you got.
1: I exactly, he deserves it. Um, I saw him read with Denise to Hamill at Mm the Miami book fair. I went Mm -hmm. because Denise was, was reading Denise and he both, I think performed from memory. Um, Oh, wow. Maybe I'm I'm wrong about that. Or they had like a teleprompter or something. Denise had this great poem. And anyway, I was blown away by both of them, but really introduced to Hanif Abdurraqib there. I brought him to my school on Zoom last year.
0: Nice. Um,
1: And it was one of those readings that even on Zoom was transportive. It was just beautiful.
0: For my next beginning, I read this in college and it was It's really, I think, just an extraordinary book. And I feel like I want to teach it more. But again, I go back and forth with that teaching. Like, do I want to teach it or will it take the power Mm -hmm. out of it for me? Right. But this is from Jane Mead's book, The Lord and the General Den of the World. And it's from Mm -hmm. the poem concerning that prayer I cannot make. And it opens the book, Jesus, I'm cruelly lonely and I do not know what I have done, nor do I suspect that you will answer me. And it just sets up the entire book for for what's to come. And I want to share like another stanza and line in here that I absolutely adore. And she's no longer with us. So I'm just want to give her a little, a little bit more. So this is from a poem called In Need of a World. And I just think this is stunning. I watched the field of drying corn beyond. And beyond that, the soccer field and rows of clean-lined condos. I wait for the yellow lights to flick on in the white church across the valley. Will I ever learn the way to love the ordinary things I love to look at? Isn't that stunning? And It's stunning. I, I feel like I... I think I feel like that as I get older and so many of my friends have made more traditional decisions about, you know, how they live their life. And I look at it and I'm like, I just, I don't know how to, how to want that. So that that's resounded me my whole life. I guess, whatever age I've been, I feel like I've never quite understood the things that people love. And I'm like, that's, that's interesting, you know, but then it's like, so I don't know. It's just that lonely observational moment that I love when a poet does. Yeah, Absolutely. This is the
1: opening of Bridget Beeking Kelly's song. Listen, there was a goat's head hanging by ropes in a tree.
0: If that doesn't grab you in a book, and you'll make a decision, you're going to keep going or you're going to turn around. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that, that line in and in of, in, in of itself is the trigger warning. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs> like right. immediately, immediately, you know what is yeah. coming.
1: Yeah. I've seen. Bridget, and Kelly read twice and, and God rest her soul. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it's, um, it's still devastating to me that she's no longer on this earth, but, um, and I really want the rest of her poems. Like I want to, I, I really am like hungry for them, but um, yeah, when I saw her read, like people afterwards were just sitting there stunned. The lights came up, People left, I, people sat there in their seats though, for like 30 minutes, just like in a stupor. It was, I will have to find a reading to like link to in the notes because it's what she can do to space and to people's like
0: emotions. It's just unparalleled. So can I tell you a cool Bridget Kelly, Jean Valentine story? Oh, please do. So when I lived in New York, I got to know Jean Valentine and there was a period where we hung out, you know, I mean, every couple months or so, you know, I feel like Jean was a friend. I, you know, went to her condo on the Upper West Side and we just got to know each other, went to a movie once. And she invited me to go to the National Book Critics Circle Award reading with her. And Bridget Kelly was nominated that year. I'd have to look at the whole list and see who else. And so... Bridget Kelly read, it was just a little brief reading. They read like one poem or two poems. And afterward, Jean went up and I was with her and we talked to Bridget for a minute. I basically watched them talk. You know, it's like poetry, like, you know, amazingness. Let me just observe. And Bridget said to Jean, I wanted to tell you something. Like, you know, my son's never interested in poetry, but I was driving and I had a copy of a reading that you gave and it was playing, I was listening to it. And this was a younger son. Like he was, you know, maybe in a, he was in a car seat. I think at this time she said, and she said, "Your poems were on," and he started finishing words with you. Like he started saying what the next word was going to be. And he's like, "Mom, I just, I just know what she's going to say. i just, I just get it. Isn't that amazing?" And I always feel like Jean does write, wrote in that place that was sort of ethereal. But her son was totally finishing sentences with Jean's poems. Isn't that amazing? Wow, that yeah. is really amazing. And I'm happy to be able to tell that story because neither one of them are here. It's such a lovely story to have continue, I think, yeah. So the next the next one that I have is my former teacher and colleague, Irene McKinney. Mm. The poet Maggie Anderson and I, after Irene died, were able to assemble her final manuscript and West Virginia Wesleyan College published it and kind of established a press just for this book. But this is Irene's last book. It was published posthumously. And this is a great opening. There's a passage through the night where someone awards me, hangs the tassel of distress off to the side, and replaces it with a badge indicating that I did one thing right by continuing what I'd started when I didn't know it had begun and I was sure of no reward. Mm. Isn't that great? That's really great. And it's also like her. Yeah. It's like, this is a book about dying. This is Irene died of cancer. And this is a book about living closely with that. One of my friends who, I don't think he ever studied with her, but he he went to school there two years and was behind me, was not an English major. He told me he was reading on the plane and he like started just crying and his husband looked at him like, It was like, what's going on? And then he showed him the book as husband's like, oh, like he thought he was having a real crisis, but he was just having this amazing cry and he's not a poet. I mean, he likes books, Mm -hmm. but he's not a poet. And he just was so moved by it. That's amazing.
1: I love um, a beginning that starts. I was right about one thing. (laughs) You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, that's really cool. That's a great voice that I would listen to. Um, Well, speaking of Diane Seuss, who chose my uh, forthcoming book, I love the beginning of her last book, which is called Frank sonnets. These sonnets are like incredible. They're, it's an incredible innovation in the sonnet form. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first one, um, which the title is the, um, the first line. Okay. So that in a jam title. It's an in-jam title. Mm-hmm. I drove all the way to Cape disappointment, but didn't have the energy to get out of the car. That's that. That's
0: the epitome of disappointment. <laughs> it really is. I drove there and I can't even get out of the car. Yeah, I'm like, so I'm disa- I guess I'm in the right place because I am disappointed. That sounds um, like my whole life. I'm like, God, I can't even get out. Yeah. Totally. Yeah.
1: Or just, or not disappointed. Maybe like it, it's, there's an element of, of comedy to it but it's also oh of course
0: like, but i just mean like because it's capitalized in the book right like there's ca- literally it, a place called cape disappointment but then also like yeah. leaning into the place where maybe you're feeling this but then you can't even get out of the car like i'm thinking of it like yeah. so many different yeah. levels
1: yeah it's a place in southern california
0: mm. um yeah
1: it but it's also tragic like i yeah. have reached this place that i've clearly set out for and mm-hmm. i can't experience it like i I can't and part of it may be like I can't get out of the car because I need some kind of membrane between me
0: and the disappointment. I don't know. It's just depression, just unable to function. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, the book is an allergy as, Mm -hmm. um, as, as well as many other things, but it's just a it's just a crystal clear introduction to the voice in that book.
0: And it's also, I think this is something I talk about with my students, the ones who want to argue with me that abstraction is more universal. The fact that that line is so concrete and specific, but you and I can sit here and think about so many things it can mean, shows you the power of preciseness and of image. And that's, that's the universal, you know, that's it. And I feel like trying to get my students to understand that saying you broke me and you hurt me and desire with no context somehow are more moving. is just always one of those things that's difficult as a professor.
1: It really is. And maybe we got the specific so, um, so intrinsically so easily because, um, we are always told we weren't universal. We were always specific, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of learned, oh, my spe- my specificity actually does connect to larger emotions, mm-hmm. yeah. or yeah, universal emotions. It's so weird about universal because it's like, who's universality, mm-hmm. right? Like I think taught we taught in workshops, like, oh, you know what? Like you can't. I, it, you can't write for a gay reader, or you can't write. Oh for, yeah, right. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? Because that's yeah. not universal. It's like, yeah. um, uh, well, actually, it is because it existed in every species throughout time.
0: I think we also spent so much time looking for hidden meaning. Meaning, like, I see a man on top of a woman in a sex scene in a movie when I was a kid, and I have to imagine myself the woman, you know, mm-hmm. in order to have any vision of what it's like to have intimacy with a man. So we were always yeah. looking for the specifics to sort of queer them or find ourselves. And I think there's something Uh, there.
1: We always had to sort of translate ourselves, right? Gosh, every pop song, every love song, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Reginald Shepherd is the next one I want to mention from his book, Wrong. And the poem is called Before. It's a proem. It's a Mm proem. And so I guess I, I take back what I said about not loving them. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Young men wait in their carnival bodies for fireworks on the 4th of July. Isn't that beautiful?
1: It's beautiful. And it has everything that that book's about. It has yeah. beautiful men. It has uh,
0: desire, explosions, beauty, mm-hmm. surprise. He's such a surprising poet. Oh, he's he's definitely one of our best. Yeah. Um, I so here's one who is
1: also no longer with us very recently, a few years ago. Uh, this is the beginning of Lucy Brock Broido's book, The Hunger. It's mm. from the first poem, obviously, uh, domestic mysticism. And it starts in thrice 10,000 seasons, I will come back to this world
0: in a white cotton dress kingdom of after my own heart. She's one of the only contemporary poets that can say thrice in a work.
1: And then like this whole, I mean, one fragment, all capitalized kingdom of after my own heart too. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I mean, she's, I think critics of hers would accuse her of being too idiosyncratic. Mm -hmm. I just think that the idiosyncrasy is exactly how I mean, it's just being able to step into the way someone powerfully and differently sees the world. And for me, that's very freeing.
0: Were you at the reading that I was at? Were we together when Ann Carson and Lucy Brock Broider read together?
1: Yes, I made you go to that reading. You were mad at me.
0: I was because it didn't start out well, if I remember correctly, right? You kept looking at me like, fuck. You. Well, there was someone else I wanted to see and I can't remember who it was. Yeah. I can't remember who it was either. But yeah, I was like, no, bitch, you're going to thank me for coming to this reading. And well, I am going to quote something that she said. So she did say, and I think it's interesting that her critics in some way gave her permission because she said, I let myself on this most recent book be as idiosyncratic and specific and as like, you know insular as i wanted to be so i think it's kind of funny that she just decided to be as obscure because that's what people were going to say anyway this is from nicanor para a poet from chile and it's the opening of his book emergency poems and it's i'm actually cheating because it's three um sentences or actually two sentences no praying aloud no sneezing no spitting eulogizing kneeling worshiping howling expectorating i just love that he says expectorating i mean i know it's translated but i still love mm-hmm. that expectorating such a great opening gerunds.
1: yeah all it's that so like, great. ongoingness at yeah. the beginning i want to um uh, give you a first line uh that is just like so i don't know it's it's like this law giving kind of line mm-hmm. uh, it's eduardo c corral's Uh, beginning of slow lightning. The poem is called Mm. um, it's after a painting uh, Mm. and the painting is called our completion Mm. oil on wood, Tino Rodriguez, 1999. And the line is before nourishment, there must be obedience. Mm. And I think that's a really good start to uh, no wonder. Obedience
0: is really wild. Yeah.
1: Right. And I think the book, like, overturns and rebels against notions of like being a good boy or or being yeah. a good citizen or like the you know it expands our notions of what those can be
0: yeah i, I see that
1: yeah no wonder carl phillips picked that for the the yale younger prize first uh, latinx person to win it really Believe that's true. I can check it for the fact check, but I'm pretty, I'm like 99% sure that's and true.
0: And it's so interesting because you want to celebrate that, but then you're also like, why the fuck did it take so long? Like, you know, yeah. it's like that double sort of thing like, yay, amazing, but like, God, why are we just now having these strides? You yeah, know, it's right. messed up. Mm-hmm. But also, isn't Carl the first African American judge? Yes. Yeah. You know, so it's just like, it's just so interesting that yeah not interesting it's so you know disappointing not, yeah, yeah and why hasn't it why haven't welcome, we rectified this sooner welcome to
1: cape disappointment
0: mm. well we need to get out of the car and fucking rebel I'm gonna <laughs> that's piss, what we need
1: to do i'm gonna piss off the side of cape disappointment the cliffs of cape disappointment
0: yeah yeah right onto william logan's head right in his butthole <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Aaron, welcome to the fact check. Yay. I love the fact check. Um, I know you do. You like facts. I do. And I like checking because I have OCD a little bit. I I just (laughs) like checks. (laughs) Yeah, same, same.
1: (laughs) I'm now thinking of... um... Uh, cardi b saying why she wants to act again she hated it and she said but i enjoy the checks oh absolutely
0: <laughs> i hear i hear her i mean that's why i'm thinking about getting my modeling career going again I, I yeah. Yeah. Miss that money yeah yeah
1: no only fans for aaron
0: <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> <laughs> and you know there'd be some weird sick group that would be into it if i had the guts <laughs> so. um all right so
1: Really, we just have two things to say from what I found, Um, and I'll start with, I shall start with shame. So the shame that I have is that I called Lucy Brock Bordeaux's book The Hunger, but it is called A Hunger, which I knew, but I called it The Hunger. Oh, is The Hunger
0: a... a movie is it the movie with susan sarandon
1: the lesbian vampire movie that's Ooh, my next sentence i'm so okay. proud of you
0: yes see shame turns to pride if you just wait a minute i mean are <laughs> they really that different <laughs> i mean
1: it's the and all uh, but sure
0: oh no i meant shame and pride are they oh shame
1: different? and pride oh i thought for a minute you met like you know susan sarandon and lucy brock um, I did check to make sure that Eduardo Sucarral is definitely the first Latinx person to win the Yale younger prize. And Carl Phillips, uh, was the first, uh, black judge. He judged from 2011 to 2020. The Yale Prize is currently chosen by Ray Trout. So, and Ray Armantrout is only the second woman to judge the prize after Louise
0: Glick did it from 2003 to 2010. Wow, they they are really behind as far as having BIPOC judges and women. It's like I'm I'm glad that it's happening, but you know, yeah, uh,
1: like yeah, it does make you kind of left side face cringe, right? Yeah, totally. And that's all I found in the episode that we needed to to you know correct the record about.
0: Can I tell you something exciting? Yes, next week we have Denise Duhamel on the show. Yeah. For two segments, uh, as we did with Miguel Murphy, Denise will join us on Monday, and she talks about her origin story, which is so interesting. I, hate, I use the word interesting, but it's just really exciting. I love to hear how an artist becomes an artist. And then um, on Thursday, she talks about writing um, form, the pantoum and the Sestina, and then about what she shows or you know doesn't show to family, which I think... It's interesting. Again, yeah, interesting. absolutely. Yeah. So, I we look forward to um, bringing content to you next week. We <laughs> <laughs> hope you listen.
1: So, subscribe now to our OnlyFans.
0: Yes, exactly. Bye.
1: Bye. <laughs> hey, everyone! If you like today's Breaking Form, please go to the Apple Store and review us with five stars. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Breaking Form Pod. And be sure to check the show notes for references. And remember, we're not for everyone. Your butthole makes me sick, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna let that stand.